0: World. season one episode four dissonance theory is over but we're just getting started here on post show recaps is westworld coverage welcome to westworld hello everybody i am josh Wigler and here to prove to help me prove that i'm not crazy and that all of this it does matter indeed very much joe garfine joe what's going on
1: wow i mean <laughs> i really have the opportunity to watch an episode of a show I did take the time to watch this episode of Westworld, and I believe that the puzzle pieces may not be coming together, but they've been put on the board for us to play with.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. Coming in very metaphysically, Uh, just like right off the right off the bat. Here we are.
1: That's right. You know me yet. Let's, let's not even waste any time. Let's just dive right into this. (laughs) Let's just
0: dive right into it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit of setup really quickly first. This is the Welcome to Westworld podcast. We talk about every episode of Westworld here. Joe is my partner in crime on these podcasts. We're doing a lot of theorizing, some analysis. We're doing some appreciation for some of the great characters on this really cool show so far. Four episodes in, Joe. Sounds like you're still in. Sounds like you're still down the rabbit hole and you're still pretty happy to be here.
1: Listen, you know I'm the world's biggest Lost fan, and I actually said out loud yesterday, I think this might wind up being J.J. Abrams' best show when all is said and done.
0: Okay, well, let's get, you know, listen, we're both huge Lost nerds. Let's not get ahead of ourselves Listen, I know, I'm just saying. Let's not pass the crown away after four (laughs) episodes of Westworld. Let's let Westworld work for it a little bit first.
1: If this show continues to unfurl in the manner with which it's been presented in a matter of 10 to 12 episodes per season on HBO, I feel like it has the potential to be a game changer for the television landscape the way that Lost was. Now, nothing in the world is ever going to be lost to me and to you and in our hearts and in our brains but In our
0: hearts and our hearts and minds if you
1: heart- will ah, man i messed that up see you
0: were so close you were I so, was close. so close it's you're whatever. already too hooked into westworld oh my it's gosh true. Joe. you're losing it you're losing I, the eye i
1: have a glitch and a maze on the inside of my eyeballs
0: no that's gross i have a big eyeball <laughs> phobia and i don't want to know about that
1: is that because of Glenn or... <laughs> no,
0: no. Sorry, too oh, soon, too soon. No, too soon, too soon. Let's get that out of the podcast right now. But <laughs> no, what, what, what I do here is, uh, I, I think that, listen, it's a bad robot show. And the bad robot shows, I don't know if it's 100%. Um, but for the most part, they're incredibly, incredibly fun. You know, going back to Alias, which is such a fun show. Yes. Lost that you and I clearly very avidly both really appreciate and love and uh, hold it dear to us. Fringe, the show that you and I became friends over. Like Aww. this is, A lot of these shows are, are super good. The added bonus here is the HBO factor, which really allows the show to tackle a lot of uh, very intense subject matter, get pretty violent, which can be both exciting and chilling at times. Um, you know, they're a lot freer with their language, so the language could be a little bit more colorful. It's also a huge draw for hardcore mainstream actors like Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins and all of these people who've come along for the ride. Um, so I think it just it does attract uh, attract a certain level of quality where you can feel like if these themes that are playing out that are already really very interesting after four episodes, if everything keeps developing the way that it is developing. Yeah, this is going to be a pretty, pretty historic show. Uh, as it is, it's already really, really fun four episodes deep.
1: It is. And I would add into that pile of um, amazing Bad Robot shows, Purse of Interest, which I think of is, course, is yes. still sort of underrated and in, in, in under the radar. And I think later on... I still on, just I'm, haven't done it, so I, know. I don't even know. It'll be appreciated later on. I think studied in technology and communications classes. And I feel like the fact that you know Jonah Nolan's f- fingerprint has carried over to Westworld with the prescient technology I do love that so there's a legacy that's that's quite a quite a big legacy they've built for themselves and I love it
0: yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing the person of interest thing once I get into it. Again, a Jonah Nolan show, so the guy who's responsible for Westworld here. So the more I like Westworld, the likelier it's going to be that I'm really going to dive into person of interest. Uh, but let's dive into Westworld. Let's dive into this episode. Uh, it's Dissonance Theory is the name of episode four here of Westworld. Just broadly, Joe what was your what was your take on this episode in terms of the character work that was done, the expansion of the themes, just the general mood? What do you think of Dissonance Theory? Some great scenes in this episode.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the standout scene for me was when Doctor Ford and Teresa had their lunch, and yeah, the
0: same the same table that she was at as a kid when she was in Westworld when she was a young lass. Uh, he has all of that detail on lock, and you just get a classic. Anthony Hopkins scene out of that. Really good.
1: Absolutely. And then, of course, Man in Black and Hector and Lawrence and the woman with the snake tattoo. I just... And then in the end, I have to say, and I apologize, I've been calling her mauve like the color, and it is is pronounced Maeve. Sorry. Tanny Newton, we love you. Um, I think that that was quite a cliffhanger and reveal at the end.
0: All right. I have a theory that I just want to launch with. uh, Let's start with with theories. All right. Here. Let's... I think that this is going to be a really groundbreaking one. Uh, (laughs) What if instead of searching for the maze this whole time, uh, somebody just somewhere along the game of telephone mispronounced it. And it's really, they're supposed to be looking for Maeve. And once they find Maeve, Everything will be okay. I'm joking. This isn't real. Uh, <laughs> I was going
1: to say that's so <laughs> I'm, Josh.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a little loopy today. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. The Maeve. We're searching for the Maeve. No, Maeve was fantastic in this episode. Clearly another great standout Tandy Newton episode. Uh, had already had such a killer episode too. Um, but her, her journey down the rabbit hole, her journey toward her wonderland of sorts and her awakening really takes a few crucial steps forward this week. In some really excellent performance work from Sandy Newton uh, in that final scene of the episode especially it was so great. With her and Paolo. I mean, I like Paolo. I'll, I'll side <laughs> with A.J. Mass on this one. I think that Hector is a good character here.
1: Listen, I mean, it'll always be funny to us. Sorry about people complaining about the Lost references, but, you know, he'll always be Paolo to us. But frankly, I have, this is my first time enjoying him as an actor since 300
0: Uh uh-huh yeah when he had deep booming 700 feet tall xerxes voice
1: and some gold skin
0: that's some gold skin i prefer him here as a bandit with like puss in boots voice like i like (laughs) i like the world is mad
1: oh that was pretty good
0: Uh, I believe in nothing yeah he's uh he's interesting I like his worldview much like the man in black enjoys his worldview I think I think that's good but no he's good uh he's a little dangerous he's a little bit of a bad boy he was um afraid in kind of a cool way in the final scene of the episode when he you know finds the bullet inside of Maeve and it's confirmation at least for her that quote unquote I'm not crazy and none of this matters and he seems at least roped into that moment so no I thought that Rodrigo Santoro the actor who plays him I thought that he did a really good job this week i was uh i was impressed more impressed with him as an actor than i've probably ever been
1: Actually, I agree wholeheartedly. So let's start by arguing about what's next.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, where do you want to start? I mean, I think that there's really, there's a few major plot threads this week that we can start there with frameworks and then we can try and unearth any sort of nitty gritty details that we want to talk about as well. But in terms of the four major plots of the episode, and then you can tell me where you want to begin. Um, We've got the Man in Black. The Man in Black is, you know, really the bulk of the action this week, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of linked to the Man in Black, maybe sort of possibly debunked the this week, possibly not, is this whole Theory about is William uh, The Jimmy Simpson character, a young version of the Man in black, he had a lot to do this week with, uh, with Dolores Who is now along for the ride, and Logan of course Is trying to convince William to go Full black hat by the end of the episode, so those Are two of the four stories, we've got the Maeve Story that we talked about, her journey toward Finding out what the shades are um, And Teresa and Ford You know, that is a, that's another really riveting Scene, so any one of those four that You want to start with, and then we can start drilling down deeper
1: i think we need to start with dolores and the whole dreaming and the the maze and you know maybe you can do three the, be mave? free. the, the mave. maves the maze you know is maybe-, maybe
0: maybe joe maybe it's two maves and that's what it is it's the maves and that sounds <laughs> that sounds like a maze i think you've lost your mind am i have I, have I been down here too long? I think so. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I died somewhere out there on the park. That's what they will say. They will say that it, they, that it was ruled an accident, but they knew me better
1: well here 's what you know gets me from the Bernard and Dolores conversation. I do love that they keep opening on these two having their you know their surreptitious meetings, which by the way, Anthony Hopkins later on says we know everything about everyone, so obviously he knows about these meetings and i 'm sure all of it's recorded that being you would said think so
0: yeah, you would think so.
1: They talk about a secret game and the maze, and here I was and then it's sort of you know we 've been following man in black 's journey to find the center of the maze and the game, and what if it sort of made me think what if dr ford's New narrative and new land is the end game for Man in Black. That's where the end clue will be.
0: Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure what the maze actually is. Jokes aside, um, yeah. but it's it's starting to seem pretty clear to me that. A bunch of people are interested in getting there. Uh, and it's not just the man in black who is, you know, very gung-ho about the quote-unquote deepest level of the game and trying to find the maze and scalping heads in order to get maps on the inside of the scalp that takes him to a curious little girl who clearly knows a lot more about her existence than many of these other hosts do, which takes him to the Blood Arroyo, which takes him to Armistice, the Snake Lady, which takes him to Hector, and all of these steps that he is on where it does feel like he is following a quest like a pre-laid out quest like With if you free want rain. right if you want to solve the maze this is how you do it. And he's so far is seemingly on that path. Um, But I, but I also get the sense, I mean, we hear from Bernard. Bernard is talking to Dolores in the first scene of this episode and says, um, you know, after she is, uh, you know, really grieving the loss of her, her family. And she's talking about how she wants to, you know, she doesn't want to lose the pain. It's, it's turning lights on inside like an empty building and rooms you've never been in. And you're expanding, which was such a beautiful way of describing, describing the feeling of discovering consciousness right yes that's that's one of the great themes of the show is the discovery of your own existence and how would you i mean like you don't have words to really articulate the experience of feeling that because you were a freaking baby when it happened but these people have actual personalities um or or at least programmed personalities they have language they can convey so there's there's so much um there's so much beauty in the dialogue of that potentially and i thought that that was written so vividly and so excellently Just to stop down for a moment and say that was such an excellently written scene, really performed well by Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, The the
1: line that got me and that sticks in my head is I adapted it from scripted dialogue about love.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's, like, even something a little bit mechanical about that, but I think that that's, you know, it's really what she's doing there is just sort of overtly describing all of our mental processes. Like, how do you ever come up with a line or a terrible joke like the Maves? Like, you think (laughs) about that for a minute, and, like, you adapted it from a stupid joke that you had, and then it comes out poorly. Uh, And I think that you're seeing something like that here with Dolores, where she's describing her thought process that gets her there. So I think in these sort of of inhuman characters that we have that are created to look very very human i think that they really reflect our humanity in a really interesting way i thought that that scene really conveyed that well Um, but more more you know back to the maze thing i think bernard brings it up to her after that and says maybe you will be free if you find this thing called the maze i want to put you on that path so we're seeing that someone at bernard's level which is a pretty high level as far as we know as far as we've you know it's been depicted on the show Mm -hmm. but even bernard is aware of this quote-unquote maze
1: yeah I I know. And that's what made me think, okay, then our, is it a complete misdirect? You know, the fact that Bernard mentions it in Men in Black, who has free reign, which is the only, he's the only guest who has free reign, allegedly, in Westworld. The fact that Bernard mentions it, it's like, mm, I can't decide if we are being taken or if we are also just supposed to follow the rabbit hole and find the maze as well.
0: Yeah. So do you think that, what, what do you think Bernard knows? Like how much do you think he knows? Do you think that he's aligned with whatever cause there is behind the man in black? Do you think that he's representing a different side to this?
1: For some reason, I think he's aligned with Ford. Yeah. And I, 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 and actually sleeping with Teresa really as a double, double spy, you know?
0: So you're on mole patrol with Bernard pretty heavily right now.
1: I kind of am. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't used to be, but I'm leaning toward your mole patrol.
0: Leading toward my mole patrol. So, do, are you looking at that as though he is potentially a host? Is he is he a human in your in your idea of this?
1: I'm leaning toward hosts. I'm leaning toward um, basically Ford creating Bernard, not in the likeness of Arnold Bernard, Arnold, hashtag not Love in the Bernard. likeness, but in making an improved version of someone he hoped to work with forever.
0: Interesting. I like that. I mean, I think that'd be really fun. I think. I think if he's also just a dude, I think that there's still a lot to be played with there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think that there's a lot of potential in the in the host Bernard theory, which is why I think a lot of people have had fun with that. Yes. Uh, but I, I think th- I think though the fact that he knows what the maze is and i think that clearly whatever it is that dr ford is driving at too like he's raising parts of westworld with no you know looking back no reflection no nostalgia he tells Teresa later on uh something to the effect of uh, i forget what he says um but he's talking about how he, he's not looking back he's not the sentimental type i think is what he says this isn't going to be a retrospective it's going to be something new um, and i think that his something new to me feels like it's going to intersect with what the man in black is after so there might be like different ways of describing what this quote-unquote maze is if it's a literal place if it's an idea a concept if like the idea is um how how to free the hosts of westworld and how to really blow this place up uh, if Ford has reasons for doing that of his own that are counter to the man in blacks, I think that that remains to be seen. Um, but I think that there's there's clear it's pretty clear to me that there's a lot of competing agendas for whatever this central question at the heart of Westworld is. And it's only really being pursued by the people that are a smart enough and b um, at, at the level enough to know that such a thing exists.
1: Agreed. And Moving forward a little bit with Dolores, if I may, right after that meeting with Bernard, you know, she wakes up with the gun, whether or not that's Chester, the planted gun or not, we don't know, but she deviates and goes to a new part of the park. And then when she talks to the little girl, the little girl drew a maze right after her conversation with Bernard about the maze. Yeah. And the girl who, uh, that girl, uh, I'm sorry, she's, sorry for the lost reference, she's shorter ghost Walt. Okay. Because she, (laughs) she gave Man in Black his clue last week. She gave Dolores her clue this week. She's uniquely and miraculously special. Uh-huh. And so the little girl and that she kisses,
0: loves polar bears. She we already loves, know this from the from the behind the scenes footage that's on the HBO YouTube.
1: Page. <laughs> let's keep track of Lawrence's daughter for sure uh, yes. because she says the word "remember" and that triggers Dolores. And this is where I think you and I are going to differentiate our opinions and go down uh, an interesting rabbit hole. I okay. believe Paral- parallel rabbit holes. Parallel. We're digging oh God, side we're by try. side.
0: Okay. Okay. So we're not too far away. I get nervous when I'm alone for too long.
1: Okay. Good. I believe that just like Maeve a couple episodes ago was seeing a flash forward, a a premonition, I believe that what Dolores saw in the church is actually hasn't happened yet. It's going to be part of the religious narrative in the church that Ford is currently building
0: yeah no i think i think you and i do diverge on this i think it's good that we are i think i think we should be tracking both of these because you know either one could bear out you're really in on the idea of flash forwards happening already in westworld like seeing glimpses of what's to come we yes. talked about that with Maeve back in episode two where i really thought that that was a flashback to a prior life for her yeah. and you really think that it's a flash forward to something that she's rushing toward um and you feel similarly with dolores here when she meets shorter ghost walt which i love so much and is clearly the hashtag of this episode already. Uh, when when that happens and she is seeing, you know, visions and she is seeing, um, you know, she, there's like a, a very, it's a very quick flash, but it does look like she's like bursting open church doors. Um, and we certainly know that Ford is developing something with a narrative that either involves a church that's buried in the ground or is inspired by that thing. And I would lean toward the first thing. Um, so you think that she is seeing visions of where she's rushing toward that narrative, going towards Ford its new narrative
1: I, I think that these are a part of the glitch they are Im- embedded premonitions to you know sort of serve as a warning and maybe they're going to alter the path once a, once the hosts have full consciousness i don't know
0: yeah i really took it as again flashback um and one of the things that i'm trying to track in my parallel rabbit hole is are we are we going to see the crit failure like are we gonna go you know the last time that westworld had a quote-unquote incident you know really had a big deal shenanigans happen at the park was 30 years ago we learned that in the premiere we learned that in the very first episode um that's a you know a big item of history uh that's a huge huge flagpole in the lore of this show, and I've been wondering if we will see that at some point, and I and I wonder if whatever it is that's involved in this new narrative that Ford is designing, um, if it involves that church. Why is that church buried? Why is this place that used to house a town, why has it been raised? What happened there? Is that the site of the crit failure? And so in this scene with Dolores, when she meets shorter ghost Walt, and she is flashing back, and i I take it as a flashback to her seeing her her role that already exists in an old narrative that is historically key to the new narrative so i think that she's flashing back i think that she's seeing something that she lived through once that's going to pay off enormously moving forward
1: well you're probably right but i have fun being completely <laughs> contrarian
0: <laughs> well I, I listen flash forwards are cool i'd be down with some flash forwards <laughs> I, i'd be interested in like the science of that and like how you know how that gets explained technologically on the show if that's where we go because i think that the show's done a really decent job um, of of being pretty good with the techno babble uh, i mean there's certain things that i don't know how they do like how can anthony hopkins with like just the wave of his hand shut down hundreds of people at yeah, the world really just be god in this place so there's definitely things that they haven't really fully addressed yet but i think that they've been, they've done a good job at attempting to explain a lot of the science so i'd be curious how that would play out I mean, um,
1: Caveat, I I a hundred percent overthink everything in this show. No. So I mean we'll talk about it later, but I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about people over theorizing.
0: Yeah, no, no, totally. I think that we'll talk about that okay. for sure. As as we as we As, as we, will, we do.
1: Can,
0: first we'll over theorize and then let's talk about over theorizing.
1: That's that's uh, what people listen to us for.
0: I think so. I think that that's certainly a part of it. Uh, also, the maves jokes. I think that they're really they're really here for the maves to get lost in the maves with me. Um, all right, William and Logan. They are they're with Dolores. All of this is happening. We've been we've been wondering about the the William and Man in Black thing. The William in Black uh, that the William story is a you know it's taking place many years earlier, and the Man in Black story with Ed Harris is taking place in the present day. And Jimmy Simpson's William will one day become ed harris's man in black that's been like the most popular that i can tell tinfoil hat theory surrounding westworld and i like it a lot did it take any hits this week um you know with dolores going along with uh with william uh, you know seemingly having just had her conversations with bernard does that debunk the fact that this could be taking place much earlier than we originally thought do you think that this theory is still in play
1: i think it's still in play but it's the amount of people in out in the smart universe of television analysis that have also glommed onto it makes me think that it's, if it's that obvious, then it's not, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think a lot of the time, and I think that that's that's a I, I've gotten into some heated conversations about this topic recently. Uh, of like, sometimes it's good when you can see the bullets coming. That means that you're paying attention. Like True. that means that that you know you called the shot because you watched where the writers were aiming at. Um, so I think that you know something like Mr. Robot has a couple of examples of that. For instance, um, Lost certainly had one or two. Uh, you know, all of these shows. Uh, you know, when they're really when they're really firing, like. You can see something coming because the work has been put into it on the show. Evidence is there, and if you care to track it, you'll track it, and the logical outcome will happen, and it will still be awesome. But maybe you saw it coming because you puzzled it out. Uh, so I think that if if a lot of people are latching to the William Man and Black thing, it might be a good thing that we're seeing that because that means that it's not going to come completely out of nowhere in terms of uh, people who were paying attention to that. That like you can actually see that there was a roadmap towards it. But I do wonder. Like, does the timeline of this episode to you, does that screw with it at all? Or do you think that there's, there's explanations around some of it? Well,
1: what's interesting is the reveal where he says the company needs to up our stake in this place. And then with our family, everything is business. So I've, I've always contended that there's some kind of familial bond or, or connection between Dr. Ford and the man in black. And I feel like even if William doesn't turn out to be the man in black, there is a familial connection here between the park and these two gentlemen.
0: Yeah, do you think Logan is a Lannister? Is it the do the Lannisters have an investment here in Westworld?
1: Absolutely, and I think the fact that and we'll get to it later, Man in Black, it's revealed that he has a quote foundation that helps. I know his sister, and then we're, so this so William and Logan talk about the company. They're on a paid vacation by a company. Whereas man in black is on his fucking vacation yes, from his yes. foundation. And so
0: hard, hard F bomb. Yes. Sorry
1: about that. People. I <laughs> no, don't think good. the young kids are listening. Um,
0: Sometimes it happens. Everyone, It does.
1: I am quoting the show, but yes. I believe that it's not coincidence in this episode that we learn about the quote foundation and we learn about the company.
0: Yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, I, I, I de- my ears perked up at that. <laughs> uh, so you do get this scene with William and Logan here where they're like arguing what to do with Dolores and freaking Logan just wants to shoot her because he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he, I mean, I think that he's, I don't know, I, I I have a I have a Game of Thrones touchstone that I want to like say explicitly if things come to pass the way that I see them coming to pass. Okay. Uh, but I, I think he's just such a shysty guy. He's just a, such a bad... Dude, A rude dude, a true rude dude here, Logan, where he just wants to shoot Dolores so they can focus on the mission. Like, you've dragged me out this far, William. We're at least doing the bounty hunting mission. We're at least going to shoot some people. Um, William clearly disagrees. He and Dolores are, you know, bonding quite a bit. He wants to continue that. But during this argument... This is where Logan says, like, you know, he's talking about the family and the bottom line. And uh, William says, this is about business. And Logan says, in my family, it's always about business. Later on in the episode, in the Man in Black storyline, he does get cornered by a fanboy, a a fan in black. (laughs) Uh, This guy comes up to him and is like, oh my God, I love you, man. I love your work. Your foundation saved my sisters. And then he's cut off. And as you already eloquently pointed (laughs) out, the Man in Black says, this is my effing vacation. If you keep talking to me, I'm going to cut your throat open, which seems like a big violation. And I, it would be kind of interesting to see what human-on-human human violence does look like in Westworld. But uh, we're not going to see it in this moment. But I think that it's, it's no coincidence, as you said, that that is referenced in this episode. We find out that the man in black has a foundation that apparently is pretty benevolent um, on the outside world. Uh, and William and Logan are also hooked into a company as well. So if you're tracking the theory, if you think that these two storylines are connected, That's certainly a possible connection point. Um, It also could be that whatever the company that William and Logan are talking about could also be related to the foundation just separately of uh, these three being, you know, distinct, unique individuals is totally possible as well. But it's definitely curious that. That information came out in this episode for both of these different storylines that have been tracked so closely together.
1: And the only thing that really caught my eye in the William and Logan scene was when, I believe it was Williams points out that Dolores being out there isn't a coincidence.
0: Yeah. Like, do you think that, you know, like you, the one person that you smiled at in Sweetwater, is it a surprise that she is here? You're being monitored. Uh, And so I think that that's, that's interesting to me. What was your take on that? Do you take that at face value? Do you think Logan's right there? Or do you think that this is a little more coincidental?
1: Oh, I think they're spot on. I think it's all part of the game.
0: Yeah. So here's, you know, I think that this is the big question in terms of like separating the two timelines, William and Logan's versus the man in Blacks, if they're to be separated at all. Um, Do you think when we are seeing, you know, we see Dolores in the last episode, she rides off into the night after she shoots Stephen Ogg's character, uh, Trevor from Grand Theft Auto, she rides off, and then we see her next stumbling out of the darkness and into William's arms. Are those two separate timelines? Uh, is that happening at the same time, or are those two different moments in history? And I think that, I, that question can still be asked after this epi- episode to some extent, at least, where the first scene of the episode is Dolores talking to Bernard about what just happened at Abernathy Ranch, and then the very next, scene is Dolores waking up on the ground with William and Logan. So how is she in two places at once? She gets rescued and goes back to Bernard and then goes back to sleep over at William and Logan's house. Like that doesn't quite make sense to me. So at the very least there's something wonky with the timeline going on.
1: I love that it's not presented in any kind of linear fashion and that these questions arise because it made me start to think. Some people seem to be thinking that because we're seeing HQ and these people are still the same age and allegedly it seems like it's all taking place at, you know, a current day. Right. Well, the hosts don't age. So who's to say that the Elsie's and the Ashley's and the people who work in HQ aren't the highest end hosts themselves. That's why they don't age. That's why you can't delineate what time it's taking place.
0: Everybody's a host? That feels excessive. If I'm just it, so, putting
1: it out there. If we
0: if they, if it's if it's like, oh who's like the one guest? The man in black is the only one. He's the only person who ages.
1: I'm not saying everyone's a host, but I'm just saying that there might be some hosts running HQ.
0: I think so for sure. I think I mean I definitely think that there are high-end hosts that we've probably met and don't fully know that they're high-end hosts. Right. But I'm just uh, saying it
1: would help with the timeline in terms of, well, if no one ages, then we're not really gonna know unless they lay it out for us what the timeline is.
0: I think that there. I think that there's going to be some sort of um, timeline reshuffling that happens eventually in this season. Like okay. I think like some sort of like clarity, like some sort of contextualization. Whether or not we're seeing, uh, you know, William and Logan playing out years and years and years and years before the Man in Black story is playing out, and that the two guys are the same person. I don't know about that, but I do think that there's going to be some sort of moment of clarity, of like some sort of like Kaiser Soze type <laughs> of reveal. Probably the better. Uh, Uh, comparison would be like some sort of like memento put together considering that this is a jonah nolan show and actually jonah nolan and his his not so uh you know his kind of famous brother christopher uh these guys like to play with time in their stories uh they like to play with surprises and twist endings and then the prestige and all of that oh my god inception yeah, exactly. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is something very layered with with the timeline that's going on. That I don't I don't have a fully great grasp of yet, but it's something that I'm trying to watch. And I'm not closed off to the William and Black theory even after watching this episode.
1: Okay, that's fair. Uh, let me ask you a question. When you know they go through the new guests, the the uh, the people who are alive, they come yeah. in, they get fitted, and then they get a weapon. They pick a weapon, and it's obviously catered just to them. When Logan shoots up that house, he takes a gun from one of the hosts. What does that – does that mean anything?
0: That Logan um, takes a gun from one of the
1: hosts. Yes, when a human takes a gun from a host, is it is – it, are they going to like upstairs in HQ go click? And then you know how they jammed a gun in one scene? Can they make sure right. that he can't shoot this?
0: Yeah, I would. I would guess so. Uh, I would guess that they would make. Well, if he has a host gun, like in that moment, and he's like decided to like for himself, just claim it and upgrade it. Whoever's watching him is probably like, all right, he has permissions for that host's weapon. Right? Okay.
1: I just I thought it was Uh, significant because of Chester. The you know that's what we're calling the gun that Dolores found. Yes. I just think that now I'm paying attention to every gun on the show.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's worth paying attention to. I, I mean, that gun's going to go off, and it's really just a matter of who's <laughs> going to get slugged by the thing, and that's going to be a great moment. Exactly. Uh, that's going to be really, really fun. Um, what do you make of this whole this whole scene at the end of the episode with William and Logan, just to like start closing up their storyline a little bit, where Logan kills the sheriff... Uh, because this guy that they've hunted down slim works for alazo who is the ticket to the best ride in the park uh logan tells william your bullshit mission led us right to an easter egg that uh, was
1: insane to say it out loud here yeah. we are discussing Westworld's game and you know Easter eggs are just – I think everyone who's listening to our podcast knows that they're little embedded nods and winks at the audience referring to something else that they've read or watched. And it happens in video games all the time. It happens on television and in film. And so for them to specifically have Logan say that, I thought that was fascinating.
0: Well, the show is, you know, it's a show about gaming, yeah. um, among, among so many other things. But one of the things that's really bearing out is that this is, a, I mean, Westworld's a game. It's a gigantic, immersive, uh, effectively virtual reality experience in a flesh and blood sort of way, uh, where there's high stakes or the stakes are are meant to to feel high, at least. Um, and it's it feels pretty damn real. Um, but for, for him to say Easter egg, like yeah. the language that he would be using is he viewing this as a game so in that universe it's valid it works but it's also really cool because it's reflective of our universe where uh there is a certain level of gaming that's going on in engaging a show like westworld the way that we are uh and the way that a lot of people are liking to to piece a lot of these uh you know different scenes and uh pieces of information and trying to weave something out of it because it's a fun thing to do (laughs) uh so i i think that it's i think it's cool i think it's cool that there's you know so much of an overt nod to gaming because it's such a core part of the show uh but i think also a a key part of a lot of the fandom that's starting to build around the show
1: totally and i I, one of my biggest takeaways from the end from that scene was dolores like Maeve, remembers being collected by the religious religious lab men
0: does she i i may have missed that
1: uh she well she has a vision um uh remembers being collected after being shot
0: oh that's right that's right that's right so like so
1: she and Maeve are on the same wavelength of this game of this glitch (laughs)
0: the shade yeah she's starting to see the shade Mm -hmm. i like that that's what they're called the shades yes uh the the ones who walk between both worlds who come from hell oh god the mythology around it is i mean like that's a really cool aspect of it too is like how do they even begin to like conceptualize and explain the things that they sometimes maybe see and remember uh it's just that's a great added detail uh but this whole thing with william and logan so they they shoot the guy they're gonna follow slim's quest uh he's gonna he's gonna drag them along to something really cool and william and logan are fighting and logan calls william billy and william really doesn't like being called <laughs> Billy. Did you take anything with that? You don't like to be called Billy William. Why is that such a raw issue for you?
1: I mean, I think it's just like most boys who grow into men don't like being called by their nicknames. I didn't read too much into it.
0: Is it because he's going to become Billy the Kid? Well,
1: that's too much like saying Wyatt is Wyatt Earp. Yes. Well, like <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be on the nose about it,
0: yeah i don't think so but i just thought that that was great don't call me billy man uh like he just like he he knows how to needle him there
1: totally i mean go black hat with me okay go black
0: hat with me well i'm i mean i'm interested to see what that looks like (laughs) uh like has has logan not been black hat yet (laughs) what, what does full black hat look like that's terrifying
1: i think man in black is full black hat
0: I think Man in Black is full of black hat. All right, anything else from this storyline, or do you want to start talking about the Man in Black proper? Let's uh, talk, talk about his story. Let's talk. Let's talk, Turkey. Man in Black shows up. He had a week off. He was not in episode three. His absence was missed uh, and very much felt in his presence here because I think that he's the dominant character of the episode. Um, and he's certainly, that storyline is by far and away for me, the most fun in like a in a way that I don't like to say it's fun. You're worked. Uh, I I know it but but I think that that's I think that that's that's interesting because there is this this Grand Theft Auto thing that they are playing with on the show and one of the themes is, you know, you should feel a little uncomfortable with the way that we engage games and the, the way that that, you know, allows us to treat reality. Um, it shouldn't be cool that you just, like, run over 60 pedestrians after you've carjacked this car in Vice City uh, in Grand Theft Auto. Like, you shouldn't be enjoying that. Uh, but for some reason, there's just something... I think it's because Ed Harris is so good. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's something uh, relatable about his approach to gaming. I think that there's something really harrowing about the duality of the guy that we now have a better grasp of in this episode even though it's still pretty murky uh, but you know that here he is like one of the most feared or fearsome guests certainly uh, in the entirety of westworld if not just like entities outright uh, but in the outside world this guy seems like he's a pretty good guy <laughs> he seems he seems like he's pretty
1: nice i have a i have a crazy new theory to drop right now
0: All right, let's drop it.
1: After the line about him being on vacation, and we learned that he does have a foundation in the real world, which I'm dying to see, by the way, the real world. The Hanzo
0: Foundation. Exactly,
1: the Dharma Initiative Yes, He says, I don't have time for the bullshit. And my ding, ding, ding went off, and I went, okay, that's it. He's dying. That's why he's obsessed. He's obsessed with the game. He's obsessed with figuring out the, the end game before he dies, and his foundation has not been able to find the cure for whatever ails him.
0: Wow. Well, that's really that's compelling. That's really compelling. I mean, like obviously a lot has to bear out for that to go, but like that's a cool way of looking at the character. Yeah. Um where, you know, one of the one of the most notable things that he says uh so far in the second episode, uh where he says like I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's 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 here. He's going to be in Westworld. He wants to um, die
1: there, honestly. Yeah, you you
0: could, you could feel that. I mean, well, he does talk to Armistice in this episode when he meets up with her at the Blood Arroyo and everything, and things are starting to pan out in the way that, you know, he doesn't know where it's leading quite yet, or at least we don't know where it's leading, but he knows this is the path to follow. And they're talking, and he brings up Arnold. Uh, the man in black knows what an Arnold is, uh, is aware of Arnold, and talks about honoring that guy's legacy, that there's one last game, there's one last level that Arnold put in place, uh, something with real stakes, real violence. And that's what he's talking about bringing to this world. He wants to honor that man's legacy. I don't know if he's interpreting Arnold's thoughts correctly. We don't know enough <laughs> about Arnold to know whether or not Arnold was quite that bloodthirsty. Maybe he was, or maybe this is a gross misinterpretation of this man's work either option is pretty cool Uh, (laughs) but but there's there's definitely something to that when he's talking about real stakes and real violence like this game is too easy for me now i want to play on extreme mode right Um, like that could be it or there could be something else but the way that he talks about it with your idea like there definitely sounds like there's something of if not a death wish Then an acknowledgement that time is precious, time is short, I don't have a lot of it, whether it's because somebody's going to get to the maze first, or i got to get there before the clock runs out on me. I think that's a really cool idea that you just threw out.
1: Excellent. Uh, The line that stuck out for me in this particular sequence from Anna Black was, no choice you ever made was your own. I'm here to set you free.
0: Yeah. And who's
1: trying to set herself free? Dolores.
0: Yeah, well... They'll go for it. Keep going. I just,
1: I don't know that, you know, there is obviously a connection between man in black and Dolores. And like I've said before, people assume the worst happens when he drags her by her hair into the barn at the farm. And I think that what we're not seeing is they're actually working together and he's the one embedding the glitch. He's the one leaving the clues because he has free reign when he's roaming around being nefarious at night. And I think that they don't, if they see him, they're not going to question they're not going to see him planting a photo or a gun or see him dragging Dolores off. Maybe there's no camera in the barn, and that's where they're doing the magic.
0: There's a couple things there. Uh, w- one of them is, I mean, I think that whether or not the man in black is in cahoots with whoever is, like, waking some of these hosts up, mm-hmm. I think that he, he wants that outcome. I think that he wants—I uh, think he wants hosts to either be all self-aware or all, um, you know, all literally physically freed from Westworld could be a possibility. Why he wants those things, who knows? Why whoever is activating some of these hosts, why is Dolores getting pushed on this path? Why is Maeve getting put on this path? Who knows what's responsible for that? The Man of Black could be a force there or could be a parallel force that is wanting the same thing. Um, but one, one thing that I that I really have latched onto with the Man in Black in terms of, like, his carte blanche um, and his ability to kind of just, like... Like run all over Westworld and do whatever he wants with no, you know, consequences. Uh, he basically has a blank check here. Yeah, is it is it real? Does he actually have a blank check? The only person, the only human, the only person on the Westworld staff side of things that we have seen approve anything involving the Man in Black, show any knowledge of the Man in Black as far as like a main character is Ashley Stubbs, the Luke Hemsworth character. Free H. Um, three H triple H returns. Uh, and I, I found that curious. Like he's the one who says that man gets whatever he wants. Uh, the man in black in this episode puts in requests for a pyrotechnic on his cigar, which by the way, fricking cool. That was cool.
1: (laughs) He actually asks for two because he needed one for himself and one for the cigar. He gave the sheriff.
0: Yeah. So he could blow up the sheriff's face, which was cool. I know I'm not supposed to think it's cool, but it was really cool. (laughs) Because it's
1: a robot. We're okay.
0: I thought it was neat. No, nope, that's tricky territory. I shouldn't find it okay, but I did. Uh, but I. But Ashley Stubbs is the guy who approves that order, and he looks it over. We haven't seen anybody else on the human side weigh in on the Man in Black. Um, I find that interesting. And if you are on Mole Patrol, Joe, Ooh. I feel like that's got to raise raise the game a little bit for Ashley Stubbs as a possible mole, whether or not he is uh, he is a, a, a host in disguise and doesn't know it, or he is somebody that has been paid handsomely by the man in black to turn a blind eye whenever possible. I think either of those are options, but I just got very, very suspicious that maybe the man in black doesn't have like, um, absolute authority from Westworld itself and Delos, the company that is in charge of Westworld, but maybe it's that he has somebody bought out. I don't think that it's especially likely, but it was just something that popped in my mind in this episode and noticed that, you know, only one, only one guy has his eye on the man in black as far as we know on the show so far.
1: I like it. I hadn't thought about it until before now, but now I'm like, Ooh, what if Ashley is the man in black's son?
0: Oh, okay. So it's uh, so we're going from Luke Hemsworth to Luke Skywalker. And then <laughs> he did he did become a man in black in return of the Jedi.
1: I'm just saying if he loses his arm, we know we're in the right territory.
0: So deep down the rabbit hole that's where we live. <laughs>
1: Welcome, join us, there's room. The
0: join us, join us. <laughs> The rabbit is to die for. All right, uh, but I think I think there's a lot there. I think that I think that there's a lot there uh, that's really cool. Um, what el- what else were some of your observations of the man in black in this episode?
1: I mean, I, I love the whole the bandits. You know, the whole t- poor Lawrence. Who, <laughs> I, Lawrence I,
0: is a great character. He's I don't great. Think that we've, yeah, I don't think that we've given enough credit to how, how how great Clifton Collins has been in like a really subtle way as Lawrence.
1: Clifton Collins Jr. is good in everything he's in. Um, and so he's just that guy. And I, I think he's just, he's like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. Like I got rescued again. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, I wonder if before men in black as a host, his pattern was just to get hanged and shot. And so yeah. he's sort of not used to this and has no <laughs> idea what's happening. Um, but that also could be part of men. In- there's a reason Man in black is keeping Lawrence around. Maybe well, it's because his yeah. daughter, maybe we don't know, but. You know, there's some, it's part of uh, Man in Black's end game, but I, I really like the humor of the whole situation, really.
0: Well, I, I think that there's a couple of things possibly with the man in black and Lawrence that I, that I've been thinking about. One is I think that the man in black just likes Lawrence. I think like the same way that you and I find Lawrence, like, I don't know, like his line delivery where he's like, I'm going to kill you. Like that, everything, like there's just something very casual and weary and tired about him. Um, but also kind of makes him a fun wingman type of character. Yeah. Um but there's also, like, a reputation of danger behind him. Like, when he gets brought back to the prison in this episode before he's put on the firing line, he's, like, you know, he's got, like, a list of crimes that he's pretty famous for. So as as much as, like, you think that, like, maybe he's a bit of a teddy bear, he's not. He's somebody who's done some very bad things. Which makes me interested in, like, if the man in black is trying to bring sentience or freedom as he sees it he, he says freedom yeah. set you free if he's trying to bring freedom to the people of westworld to get them to realize that the choices that they've made are not their own to get them to start making their own choices maybe unless he's just taunting them which is possible um would he want someone like lawrence like is he going to be looking like is he going to be looking to free people that will end up being sympathetic to any cause of his uh, so I wonder if like there's like a certain type that he is looking for in terms of who he is bringing around uh, to his cause, well, and I wonder if that's something he sees in Lawrence as like a lieutenant in whatever posse he might put together. Well,
1: I think that's exactly why he rescued Hector, and now Hector owes him a favor. You know, I, I feel like you know it, it all it, part of Man in Black's master plan is he's been doing this for thirty years, so he knows the loops, he knows the narrative better than anybody allegedly, and I think that there's a reason that he's. Collecting these particular gentlemen.
0: Yeah, he is uh, a, he's got great taste so far. Absolutely, <laughs> I think he's got really, really good taste right now. Uh, but I that whole sequence again, like I, I feel like one thing, like I this show it can't be stated enough, and I don't think that we've really done a great job of talking about this. But the scenes, like the like the individual moments that are on this show, can be really, really stunning and really have so far ranged, um, really have expressed really great range, where they can be really quiet and emotional. Um, you know, hearing Hector talk about how you know, know men and gods all of it is nothing uh like his his outlook and the the man in black's reaction to that of this kind of being impressed with a host that he thought was sort of just, like, made in a factory. I mean, obviously, literally, but in terms of, like, its personality traits and its looks and everything. Like, it was a market-tested creation. To hear something kind of deep and resonant with his own outlook on life, it's a really, really great kind of quiet moment between the two. But it's punctuated by Ed Harris, like, cracking up in the face of his guard, uh, knowing exactly how to break out of this place, very ruthlessly, efficiently executing on this idea with the cigar with the pyrotechnic uh with the cigar blowing up in the man's face with how quickly he's able to dismantle all the people that were about to shoot lawrence just like the sort of there's like a, this swooping feeling about how that whole scene plays out even starting back to like when we see them on the carriage uh and how that storyline kind of just starts right there on the way to prison you don't even know how they got picked up because it doesn't matter like you can kind of just yada yada to the good stuff uh and this whole sequence was good stuff i thought that this whole sequence with the Man in Black breaking in and out of prison um, might be my favorite sequence of the show so far.
1: Interesting. I think there's a delicious lack of exposition on Westworld, which I appreciate yeah. to no end. I think that what is making this show work for me is not just the beautiful cinematography and the set design; it is the nuanced performances. There, are, I keep thinking back to a few. I thought Emmy Real, This is the one you submit in this particular episode. We'll get to the Doctor Ford scene, but R- Evan Rachel Wood. There are just little things that it must be so hard to contain yourself as a human being, let alone an actor with a million people looking at you in cameras. She plays that role. She switches it on and off so well, but it's very subtle. And that's why I like the idea of her being Alice in Wonderland. And we're following her, follow the white rabbit. And I just, I'm very drawn to her both. I don't think of her as a host at all. And so I think it's all – a lot of credit has to be given, obviously, to the script, but to her performance. Um, There are little twitchy things about Bernard that I appreciate. I feel like these actors have really enhanced what we're seeing.
0: You like when he looks down his glasses. Is that a possible reverie?
1: (laughs) No. I know people are obsessed with the glasses. I am not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like the glasses. The glasses guy. Like part of it's like I mean part of it's ridiculous. Yeah. But part of it just it just looks great. Jeffrey Wright looks really good when he's just like passively looking beyond his glasses. Well, it's a good look for him. I think he should just keep rocking. It.
1: Well for a brief moment I thought, well when he takes off his glasses to quote clean them when he's in with Dolores, is that his recording device so it turns off and he puts them back on to record? I'm just mm-hmm. saying these are things that cross my mind because I am that person.
0: Yeah, uh, I I had not thought about that. <laughs> I just thought I just thought of them as a survival tool. That's all I can view glasses at, as at any time. Uh, as somebody who needs glasses in order to exist, otherwise I am in very big trouble. <laughs> one more one more thing about the man in black. Unless you've got anything else, but one that I want I want to talk about for sure is this final scene of his when him and Lawrence roll up on Teddy and Teddy <laughs> has not been killed. How about that? Teddy is still alive and we have now survived an episode of Westworld where Teddy has also survived. Teddy so far still alive. Unfortunately, Teddy misery is all you get and he is what's going to happen now? Is he is the man in black letting him loose? Is Teddy joining the party? Is it going to be Man in Black, Lawrence and the Teddy show? If so, that's interesting.
1: I, I, what I found interesting is it seems like the hosts are only collected once they're dead. So when he's a rotting corpse on a tree and still has a heartbeat, they leave him up there for part of the game. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. But then I was thinking about how we were talking about how he's working with Hector and he's working with Lawrence. We're talking about the man in black. Well, there are two quote, good guys so far that we have seen presented on screen. We've seen Teddy and we've seen William. They're both good guys. They're one's human, one is a host, what is gonna be each of their roles with the man in black? If William isn't the man in black, if they're in the same timeline, and they're both of the young cute gentlemen who are both are both enamored with Dolores. There's a connection between Dolores and Man in Black. I don't know what the through the through line is here, but there's something, there's something with Teddy, there's something with William, and there's something with the man in black.
0: Yeah. Well, one of those guys, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, Boone, we're talking about, I said Boone. You said Boone. Yeah, well, it's because I was going to say, like, one of these guys is going to get booned if that's the case, because <laughs> like, I feel like, I don't feel like Westworld is big enough for the love triangle of William and Teddy and Dolores to last for too long, and my money would be on the guy who has died a thousand times and has been resurrected a thousand times making it through, and the human maybe not making it through. So if that's where we were going, I would say that... I- That William is going to get booned.
1: I would say he's an X man, Teddy, so he can't die.
0: That's true. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe very wisely, you erased X Men: The Last Stand from your memory, Joe, because (laughs) Cyclops very much does die in it. Bullshit! Sorry, everybody. Shh,
1: I'm, shh, don't t- we don't talk oh. about that movie.
0: It's fine. Oh, that movie is so bad. Uh, not for nothing, When I, I did do an interview with James Marsden about Westworld a couple of weeks ago, and it's just part of the preamble banter. I told him how much I loved uh, X-Men, how I'm an X-Men fan, and he said, oh, well, then that means you either love me or you hate me. He, he, like, that's how he started. Like, he, he feels like Cyclops is this maligned character, and I said, oh, I love you, James Marsden. I've got no problem with what you did. <laughs> I have a lot of problems with what got done to you. He appreciated that. So oh, I yeah. felt like we connected, yeah. Because he was great. He was a great Cyclops. Horribly misused. We can get into that on another podcast on another time. We shall. Anything else, anything else from the Man in Black storyline this week that you want to talk about before we move on?
1: I'm sure I'll bring him up again, but I think we need to spend some time on Dr. Ford.
0: Let's talk about Dr. Ford. Let's talk about the other heavy hitter actor on the show. And a show filled with heavy hitter actors, but the two titans, obviously, Ed Harrison and Sir Anthony Hopkins. And... Wow, did we get an Anthony Hopkins scene in this episode, right? I mean, whoa, this is good. This is good. This is very good really really great scene between Ford and Teresa that's sort of it's set up with Teresa and Bernard you know they're doing their thing it's after the fact and like she's you know exhibiting signs of nervousness and nothing gets past the super perceptive Bernard and he kind of like talks her through encourages her to be uh, confident ahead of the meeting with Ford she needs to meet with him because the board is concerned with the new narrative that he is developing so even going into the scene between Teresa and Ford it's cool that you kind of have your fingers on the pulse of where theresa's at. Um, she is. She's always so tough. She's always so confident. She is always um, on the outside, very guarded and in control. Um, someone I would be very intimidated around for sure. Yeah. And and you know that she is twitching a little bit inside, and only Bernard really gets to see that. But you you are in her head for that going into what's going to end up being a remarkable, like beyond intimidating conversation with Robert Ford. So I think to get you in that character's shoes for that moment, the show did a really good job of bringing you there.
1: Um, before I'm going to take a step back to say that we haven't talked about this and I'm not sure other people are going to talk about it, but the fact that Bernard is sleeping with Teresa, but has a wife at home. No one talks yeah. about that. I'm not saying it's shocking. Hello, but um, it just sort of isn't a thing, I suppose.
0: You mean with Gina Torres? Yeah, the, uh, why
1: would they bring it up unless it has a ramification later, right?
0: Well, I was wondering if, uh, I mean, we don't have any clarity as to whether or not Bernard is still married, right? right? I don't think. I mean, I haven't been staring, like, to see if he has a wedding ring or anything like that. I'm sure that you could go back and you could find out. Um, my impression was, like, their son died and they're, you know, they're only talking by video conference to me suggested that they're probably not together anymore.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I just, I just, I just thought about that. I'm like, oh, I thought he was married. Oh, well, and not that it it, no, it, it doesn't, it's a good point. Yeah. It just like, they brought her up for a reason. I thought, well, maybe it's a, it's a recording on a loop that he has the same conversation with her just to re- revisit.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to go down the Bernard path, like I think that that's, <laughs> that's definitely something to latch on to. I mean, there's still some Bernard happening here. I, I, de- I'm definitely not away from that all the way yet. For those uh, keeping track at
1: home, the hashtag is Bern Arnold, like Bernard and Arnold in case he is the same one.
0: Yes, that was from last week. That was from last week. This week, the, the frontrunner still remains uh, short of Ghosts' yes. well. uh, But let's –
1: I have a scene. I want to ask you if you, if you notice this. When Teresa yes. walks out to the field okay. and she's she, – you know, he says – Dr. Ford says, you know follow me. Did you notice that in that field, the workers were the, the hosts created for the Red River Narrative – That were completely – that when when Dr. Ford said no, he then put them to work in the fields building the new narrative. They are are dressed in character out in the field. Really? Yes. Well, that's brutal. (laughs) I just thought that's a big F you to Sizemore, that little worm. He created this whole narrative and he went through and created all these new hosts and then freaking Ford puts them in the field building his new narrative. It's so great
0: that's so hardcore i had completely missed that wow ford is such a jerk
1: <laughs> i love it it's the little details like that there you know it's not even easter egg because it's really right in plain sight but the, there's some i would tell people that if you have the time to pause and sort of absorb scenes you might appreciate some of the nuance a little bit more
0: that was that's really great i'm looking forward to checking that out that's really that's really fun yeah um so, the, so the conversation between Teresa and Ford goes incredibly well for <laughs> Teresa. It's just a, it's a pleasant conversation. They see completely eye to eye. No fear tactics have to be used. It's really pretty straightforward. Right. Not, <laughs> I'm like, it's not. what
1: scene did you watch?
0: <laughs> I'm in an alternate timeline. Uh, yeah, no, none of that. None of those things. It's harrowing. It's horrifying. It's really scary. Um, this is the great thing about Anthony Hopkins is he can be benevolent. Like he can be in Atlantis mode yep. or he can... <laughs> Like Atlantic City or whatever that movie was, or he could be Hannibal Lecter. Uh, you know, he kind of he could ride a very, very wide range of emotions. Uh, he can he can give off a lot of different vibes. And he can do it within the same character, as, as we see here very effectively on Westworld, where there have been moments where you feel bad for, like, Ford as a guy past his prime who's really only being kept on as a courtesy. Like, there were early moments where that really was the feeling Mm -hmm. uh and you feel terrible for you know someone with so much wisdom and history and capability that's just cast aside like that and then you're seeing ford run a scalpel on the side of a host's face just because he can and now apparently turning all of the odyssey on red river hosts (laughs) into into his slaves yep uh and then talking to teresa the way that he does in a real like um I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Like, him kind of going black hat, going a little bit Heisenberg over here. Totally. In this scene with Teresa. It's just, this is why it's so incredible. This is why even four episodes in, Westworld is a real treat so far. Because you've got powerhouses like Anthony Hopkins delivering work like this. And Ford is turning out to be, like all things in Westworld, as he said, very complicated. A very complicated guy. And this scene is a real spotlight on that complication.
1: I mean... The whole fact that the insight we get he had a bet with Arnold and he yes. created one hundred storylines, yeah, I mean, and that Arnold preferred hosts, I thought that was a very good good piece of information for us,
0: yeah, Arnold preferred the hosts he held, he held a dim view of people, uh, which is which is what Ford says. And it feels to me like that doesn't sound very far away from Ford himself. Right. Uh, You know, like Ford seems to have a pretty dim view of people as well. I think that he prefers the host as well. I think that a difference that's starting to come out in like the little information that we're getting about Arnold and what his viewpoint of the hosts was and wanting consciousness in the hosts and Ford not wanting it. Like, I think that the whole, he preferred the hosts, maybe Ford prefers the hosts as well, but I think these two men preferred the hosts for very different reasons.
1: Agreed. I just had a really crazy thought.
0: <laughs> Take it out. Let's do it.
1: I mean, is anyone around at the park still working there from the Arnold days? Cause if not, what if there was no Arnold?
0: Yeah, and it's just like him just like having uh like a a projection, like a different personality of his own, or is yeah. it just like he's yeah Doctor
1: Robert th- Arnold Ford.
0: Yeah, I've thought I thought about that. I've thought about like is Ford is Ford talking about himself? Is this Arnold character actually Ford? I don't think that that's impossible. D- Jacqueline um, Hyde. You know, I think that there, there definitely could be. I think that that idea, though, that Jekyll and Hyde could also be – I think that it could still be present in Ford even if Arnold exists as his own character. But I think that the Jekyll and Hyde duality could potentially exist between Arnold and Ford as separate men. Okay. Um, but, but I think that there's, there's definitely something there. I mean – it, whether or not it's two guys or it's one person with two sides whatever it is it's clearly somebody who who shared a vision and then parted ways but much like you and I in the flash forward and flashback rabbit holes I think we're still tunneling right. pretty parallel just towards different things in, in a different way um, and I think a lot, obviously a lot more contentiously <laughs> in this in the universe of this show than you and I for sure uh, but I, I you definitely get that sense of the way that ford talks about arnold oh
1: my gosh
0: i mean like if you're wondering like what actually happened to arnold and like if one of your theories is like well clearly ford uh you know ripped his face off and broke out of westworld by wearing it you know <laughs> a la hannibal lecter like obviously ford had arnold for dinner like if, if that's where you're if that's where you're going i think that this this whole scene this whole monologue about arnold definitely built that case uh you know and he's talking about how arnold uh, you know, he begged me not to let the money men in. I told him it's fine. You guys didn't know what you're paying for. You thought it was just another business venture or a theme park, but it's an entire world. We designed every inch of it, every blade of glass. And here we're gods and you're merely our guests. Yes. Uh, and as he's saying this, he's exhibiting complete dominance and control over every single thing around him. It, um, and
1: that line terrifying. that he had a couple episodes ago, you can't play God without also, you know, playing the devil. It's like that stuck with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, well, so that's what I mean, is I think that you're you, we've already seen it within Ford. Um, whether or not, like, it's an actual alternate personality, there is this black-and-white duality within the man himself. Uh, I think it, it really is God and the devil. You know, both are on his, you know, there's the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and there are moments where he is uh, he's listening to one and he's ignoring the other and vice versa. Uh, and who knows, like, to what end? Like, who knows what his ultimate you know, his ultimate feeling is and what he's driving toward and why he wants to do all the things that he's doing. But it feels really nefarious to me. I know. I don't know about you. It feels pretty, pretty, pretty scary. I
1: just, I like the way he was, I had to rewind and and write down, like he said about Arnold, he lost his perspective. He went mad. I haven't. I've always seen things very clearly.
0: As he's saying this, like a total lunatic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) you
0: know like just again like he plays that so well like his face doesn't change very much like his mouth is really agape he's really bearing like his lower jaw you can really see it and he's just saying sadly he lost his perspective he went mad I haven't, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, of course I haven't, as you well know. Sure. I know Dr. Ford. Absolutely. You are totally sane. You are definitely not an insane person standing before me right now.
1: Do you hear the lambs, Teresa? Do you hear the lambs? Yes.
0: Yes. What did they tell you, Teresa? (laughs) The fact that he
1: paused the world or at least the West world during his speech, uh, you know, was that to assert his control and power to emphasize his words to Teresa?
0: That's how I took okay. it, like a, a total power move, a complete display of dominance and saying, like, we've had a lot of people like you over the years, and so many have found ways to make it work, uh, but not all of them. We've all, He says, we've almost always found a way to make it work. I'm curious about that, almost. Mm-hmm. Who was who, who did it not work out with? But he says, I'll ask you nicely, please don't get in my way. And I think by showing off what he just showed off, he's hoping... Uh, that actions will speak louder than words, but why not throw in a few words just to drive the point home?
1: And also the realization she has that she visited the park, sat at that very table. He has an archive of everything, of every employee, of every visitor, every host. He has, he is the puppet master. I mean, so he can manipulate anything and anyone. And so that's something we need to keep at the back of our mind as we watch this entire show.
0: I think so. Uh, I also really enjoyed when he, you know, it's not just that that he knows. Like, he knows that she's with Bernard. Yes. uh, And he says, I hope you'll be careful with Bernard. He has a sensitive disposition. Bull Patrol. Which could, (laughs) Bull Patrol, I mean, it could just be insight into, like, you know, he's worked with Bernard forever, so who knows? Uh, Like, you know, maybe Bernard is a very sensitive man. He certainly seems like a sensitive man to me. Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, he definitely has that side to him. That's definitely a a softer guy. Uh, Or he knows that Bernard has a sense of disposition because he programmed him to have one.
1: I think that he knows about the surreptitious meetings that Bernard is taking with Dolores. So he knows that he is worried that he's going to be like Arnold and he's going to care more about the hosts than the humans. Yeah
0: yeah i think that there's there's a lot of possibility there i think that it's definitely likely uh the final note of this scene is uh you know the the guy like apologizes for spilling the wine and everything he's going to clean it up and ford's like yeah don't worry about it it doesn't matter anymore and we see just like this massive bulldozer is heading toward the compound this restaurant that has a place in teresa's history that is now about to be (laughs) raised right in front of her or possibly with her in it if she doesn't get out fast enough uh uh, but he says, "Tell the board, my narrative will be built on time, and it won't be a retrospective, as I'm sure you all feared. I'm not the sentimental type. Um, fascinating, fascinating. Well, and fascinating. because you
1: think the new narrative is, you know, un- uncovering, unearthing a buried prior narrative. It's interesting that you think that because he said it won't be a retrospective, but he could be uh, inserting pieces of a historical narrative to be triggers."
0: I think that also it could be – it's not a retrospective because it's a continuation of something that's been on pause for 30 years. Right. Like it's something It's something that's been on ice uh, that we tried, that we started, that got shut down for whatever reason, whatever crit failure happened, happened, whatever that's all about, it, it ended. And this isn't so much a retrospective because it's not like a nostalgic throwback, it's – Effectively flipping the switch back on uh, Effectively pressing play again Uh, Like you had the console on For three decades And somehow the progress did not go away And you could start the game back up Um, that's kind of what, that's where my head is at. Obviously it's four episodes in and who the heck knows. Uh, but that's just, that's one thing that I've just kind of been thinking about in my head as I'm thinking about what, what the narrative might be that it's, it's, you know, it's a new narrative in the sense that it's, it's an old narrative that has been on pause for a long time.
1: That's, that's fair. I like it. there's a lot to marinate about and I, you know, I feel like this scene, At the restaurant is going to be, to me, that's the most iconic yet. And I will be referring back to it when I, when when my spidey senses go off for theories.
0: I'm sure we'll be going back to it, yeah. just because it's it's just an excellently acted scene. Uh, but I, I think that like every Hopkins scene so far is just like, <laughs> such a treat, such sure. a treat, such a delight. Anything more from this scene that you want to get into before we talk about the, the fourth big storyline, the fourth and final big storyline of the episode, which is May.
1: I will say if we're on Mole Patrol, and someone on Twitter had asked, what's Mole Patrol? Well, it just means that Josh and I consider almost everyone the mole working on the glitch with the host, so we don't know who yes. it is.
0: Um, mole, Pat- mole Patrol has been a thing on Post Show recaps. certainly since the 24 recaps because I've always been on mole patrol watching 24 because there's always, there's always a double agent. There's always a mole, always somewhere. And so I've been trained since the days of 24 to constantly be on mole patrol with any television show. So it's just naturally Joe and I are going to be on mole patrol and we invite you all to join us because it is uh, it's hard work and we need as many <laughs> eyes as humanly possible. It's
1: true. Everyone's a suspect. Everyone's now a suspect. I want a Kaiser Soze thing. Thank you very much. Um, yes. I was just thinking about Teresa.
0: Kobayashi.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was thinking about Teresa and, and, and not with the Ford scene, but when she talks to Elsie, you know, basically she's saying they're going to take over quality assurance is going to take over. And she removes Bernard and Elsie and their team from taking over because the pattern of behavior is becoming a problem with some of the hosts. And I thought, well, that, that makes my mole patrol alert go on high for her. Why would she take work away from the tech team?
0: Yeah, why would she want to control it? Why would she want to be in direct oversight? I mean, like, there's a pure explanation. Like, if she is just legit, which is, like, this is getting out of hand, and my job is to make sure things don't get out of hand, and so now my job, like, has to be taking over this thing. Like, I think that that's, like, just, like, the in the job description, easy answer. But, of course, anyone wanting to take over this situation – you should be a little bit like, why do you want this? Right. You know, is, is it for reasons outside of your job? So, yeah, definitely gets the alarms going for sure with her a little bit.
1: And I have my eye on Elsie. I don't know why. I don't know where. But that girl no. is going to be essential.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you put that in my head over the last couple of weeks that you've been, you've been on mole patrol with <laughs> Elsie. Uh, And Elsie is the one who comes up to Bernard after the meeting, after Bernard has handed things over to Teresa and her team. Yes. Uh, And Elsie has this, like, great, you know, this great exchange with him. Like, I thought that you hired me because you knew that I wouldn't BS you. And Bernard's like, yeah, that's exactly why. She's like, good. I think that what you just did was terrible. (laughs) You know, just, like, really dresses him down. Um, But talks about how, like, we are keeping a secret from them. That's not, like, not what's going on. We are not telling them that very weird things are happening here and it's not as simple as a basic glitch and you know it. Um, and she really is driving that home for Bernard. And one of the things I forget the exact line, uh, I'm trying to find it in my notes. Yeah. She says, everyone here has an agenda except for me. <laughs> yes. Said the mole.
1: Exactly. Mole-y, mole-y, oh my God. I, I did laugh out loud at that line. And also that he says, Orion has, Orion has, that has three stars. Orion has four on the, right. the back of the, you know, the, the turtle carving or whatever. Yeah. I think it's actually a clue part of the map and the maze.
0: That this, what this, uh, what this map is, this, this carving. Yep. Yeah, it feels like a good bet to me. Okay. I like that. But yeah,
1: we can move on to Maeve if you'd like.
0: Yes. Let's move, let's move on to Maeve who is, what's happening here in the saloon? Flash, this has to be flashback, right? I mean, if she's talking about through the episode and she's like going to dig the bullet out of her own abdomen later on in the episode, at the end of the episode, and she's having a vision here of getting shot dead in the gut. Then that's got to be flashback, right? What about
1: when she sees Clementine all bloody and shot?
0: Right. You think that's right.
1: happened and then the bullet is from that scene after she was already reinserted into the narrative.
0: That's what I'm okay. saying. Okay,
1: yeah. I'll go with you on that one.
0: Okay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, that's, how I, that's how, I, how I had viewed that. If you had had a flash forward interpretation, I'd love to hear it.
1: Uh, I don't at this particular time.
0: Okay, alright. So that's what's going on. So she's, she's still, you know, freaking out because she saw behind the curtain and she probably did not get properly mind-wiped and everything and... It's all still going on for Maeve. She's still on this journey. And the coolest thing, uh, I mean, many, many interesting developments, many curious happenings here with this character. But I was really blown away when she she envisions the technician. Like, she remembers what a technician looks like. And so she sketches it out. And she goes to put it away in her secret hiding space and finds that she's, like, done this a dozen times at least.
1: Which is amazing. Every iteration of her has done that.
0: Amazing.
1: I thought that was a huge reveal and has, I mean, it's just so, it's going to be so much, I'm so much more interested in Maeve now. And I feel like I haven't been paying enough attention to her because I've been focusing on Dolores because they each have their own awakening. Um, But the fact that she has that hidden area of drawings is just, was like a jaw dropper. Well, one of the
0: questions that I think is worth pondering as we're watching this show and as the promise of the show is that hosts are going to wake up. That's the promise of the show. You know, will all of them wake up? Will many? Will most? Will some? Will few? Will only the characters that we know? Who knows how how it plays out in that regard? Yeah. But people are waking up. Um, but one thing, like, th- th- what happens when people wake up, I think, is is a good question. And what are individual responses to discovering what your existence is? Uh, and what worldviews do you now shape now that you know that you're alive and what you really are? Um, and I think, like, it goes back to to the man in black and Lawrence, like we were talking about earlier. Maybe the man in black wants to wake Lawrence up because he feels like whenever Lawrence is up— Lawrence would be down for whatever the man in black wants to do. Uh, maybe Dolores would not be so interested in the man in black's agenda. Maybe Maeve wouldn't be so interested in Dolores's agenda. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that it's instructive to start looking at these, if you're not already, uh, to be looking at these awakenings of some of these characters, uh, as their own individual journeys. I mean, there's so much that's going to be linked. It seems like on the show, it already seems like a lot is already linked. Um, but I think that there's a lot of, you know, as is HBO's want with, you know, it's a great tradition a Across you know their best shows that there's a lot of individual storylines for individual characters that I think what how is Maeve going to deal with this? What is Mave's you know what's the fully awake Maeve going to look like? <laughs> is that going to be is that going to be someone who is you know kind of as seemingly curious and benevolent as Dolores no. who also has moments of ferocity or right or is it going to be you don't even need to crank up the aggression levels on her because her baseline is going to be pretty aggressive. Maeve seems like a person who is really revved up to to be to be worked up and to be fired up and to be revolutionary in a way Uh, I could really see her in in a way that I don't know that I can yet see Dolores that violently but I think with a lot of what we see with Maeve in this episode you get the sense of like just like her physical aggression like it's it's a little scary to me like it's yeah, I'm rooting for her to to figure out what's going on here, but I'm also a little afraid of what happens when she does figure out what's going on here.
1: I think that Khaleesi is awakening. I think that, you know, yeah. she is going to be badass and yeah, yeah, yeah. could wind up being, you know, quote, a hero. And so I think Tani Newton is, no pun intended, killing it. Just so good, and I'm so compelled, and like, I think she's just absolutely riveting. Um, the The whole reveal that the that's a religious there's a religious aspect to you know so hector describes and i'm jumping ahead so i apologize but no it's cool hector you know she's triggered by the word savages just like dolores was triggered by the word remember and i think these are these are very clear parts of the glitch okay so then she asks hector about the men in white suits and he's they're called shades sacred native lore The the men who walk between worlds sent from hell to oversee our world. It's a blessing to see the masters who pull strings. I thought that was just fascinating. I thought this script was phenomenal. And that's quite a reveal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she she finds the bullet inside of her. Yes. Knows that this has happened, has confirmation of that and what now i mean she's shot up her and hector are shot up by the end of the episode in this final scene so back behind the curtain they go and they will be repaired and they will be carted back out in the sweet water to to do their loops to do their thing but what are they going to remember about this like this isn't just for nothing i can't imagine i mean that would be uh the mark of a very different show that, than what we've seen so far again across four episodes of this show uh What's going to happen when, when they're back on their feet? How How is this going to impact things? Maeve has already carried memories over from one life to another to probably a few more. Uh, Is she going to remember that she dug out this bullet? Is she the furthest along on the journey towards self-discovery of all the hosts that we see on the show
1: right now? I think what this scene to me opened my eyes is that HQ is is sloppy and they're not consistent. And even though Dr. Ford said they know everything about everyone, and I'm not going to assume that that means they're all surveilled. Because why wouldn't they look at the tape of the saloon, see what she's done, and fix it? Or when yeah. she gets taken back and, quote, fixed up to be reinserted into the narrative, do they not see the knife wound? Do they not review the tape? Why does she have a bullet hole and a knife wound? Like, why don't they find the secret compartment? Because they're not looking. And whoever planted the glitch knows this. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's, there is a – I think there's an an, uh, an easy way in, and whoever found it, found it.
0: I think that's right. I think that that's I I can I can buy I can be on board for that. Um it's cool. It's a it's a really cool final note to leave the episode on like a a, a really really both exciting and chilling like when they're, you know, when she's figured it out. And he, and again, like, Rodrigo Santoro just, like, shaking. And just sort of, like, the brashness of Tandy Newton's physical movement. And just pulling him in and this whole, I'm not crazy after all. None of this matters. And just the way she, like, gobbles up his face. Just, like, <laughs> you know, just, like, so, like, kind of madly. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, kind of like, you are a little crazy. I thought was was so cool and so... Kind of like fiery and romantic and epic and and dangerous uh, as the bullets are coming through. It's just this sort of really epic note to leave the episode on, uh, and I can't wait to figure out what the what the next step is for this. I think that it's it's telling that she has she has illustrated the shade a few times before. Uh, I I don't know like how how long has she been close to this? Uh, is this her first time? And like those are just like the past few days. Uh, That she's been repeatedly having this moment. Is this over the course of years that she's been having this moment? Um, I just, I find that fascinating. I think that that's a really cool aspect of Maeve.
1: Me too. And I am just, again, I'm totally drawn to her. And I'm just, I'm really more invested in her storyline between episode two and this one. And I I keep saying it, but she's up there for me in terms of Emmy contention. I feel like this is some of her best work ever.
0: This is a really good show for actors. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's a showcase it's a showcase it's a showcase show i mean six more episodes We'll see how the season wraps up before making any judgments but uh i could i could see it being a contender for sure there's a lot of really good acting going on here uh the only thing would be like determining like who do you divvy things out to totally uh like you have a few front runners in ed harris is great anthony hopkins is obviously great uh evan rachel wood is obviously great tanny newton is obviously <laughs> great Bert, you know jeffrey wright is obviously great so how does that even play out doesn't feel fair you'd have to expand the categories but uh that's fair uh or or make some hard cuts or make none of them at all who knows maybe everyone is going to be really bad from this episode forward. (laughs) but somehow i doubt it me too somehow i doubt it um what else from the episode you want to touch on uh just sort of free range style before we start wrapping up here there's
1: nothing in particular but you know in the opening sequence which i think is just stunning the, oh, you know, the opening Beautiful, credits, yeah. the piano, the White Walker playing the piano. Um, <laughs> yes, they keep yes. showing the music, in. and obviously it's playing on the piano in the saloon. And I was thinking, that music looks like code. What? And they have very specific songs. I think it was The Cure this week that they had on the piano, by the way, uh, yes. for those keeping track at home. So I just love little things. The
0: song was called A Forest, if you would like oh to look gosh. it up. A, for- A Forest by The Cure. I love
1: it. I just, yes. I was thinking that, you know, it's it, the, the code, the music is in the opening sequence and we hear it every time in the saloon and who's always in the saloon, Maeve, maybe there's some glitch embedded in the music. It looks like code again. I'm, and we let's, let's talk about two. Let's talk now again. I'm crazy about rabbit holes and theorizing because I overthink everything, but to me, it's a great joy to do so.
0: So so, let's do that. First, I just want to validate you a little okay. bit. Uh, because we've gotten feedback. Of course, you guys can send your feedback into us. Westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, you can also hit us up, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is another way you can do that. And we're on Twitter. You can reach us at JoePinionAid, at Round Howard. We always want to hear from you guys. But we heard from Ashley Price uh, this week who had sent in an email um, about the player piano in relation to the woodchopper's carvings uh, and the Orion constellation, okay. or that, that is no longer <laughs> Orion. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's clearly that's not it. It's debunked by Bernard. Uh, Ashley herself says, as someone with a vague knowledge of astrology, I immediately question this given that it doesn't resemble Orion much at all. She continues. It did, however, instantly call to my mind another image that we have seen repeatedly on the show the punch holes that feed through the player piano each morning in the saloon. This piano has been featured prominently in each episode, and we already get the sense that the piano starting up each morning is related to the start of each character's activation and loop. What if the player piano is the central computer on site in Westworld that is literally reading out the day's code to the hosts? And what if the woodchopper's carving is actually diagramming an essential line of the code the one line that keeps the hosts from hacking everyone else apart and is literally connecting the dots on how to dismantle this code thus freeing all the hosts from the slavery of their daily pre-programmed loops what do you think about that joe we've got this this email from ashley about the player piano is that too far down the rabbit hole for you Listen,
1: high five ashley we have the same kind of brain Um, This is what I love because it shows that it's not just people like us who are delving deep. I think nothing is out of the realm of possibility. And I kind of dig that theory a lot, especially now that we know it is not astrological. So, hey, anything goes, but we appreciate that
0: so let's let's talk about theorizing i know that this is something that you and i wanted to get into a little bit as we're as we're wrapping up here uh nothing else from the episode we can we can sort of talk talk about this broadly i'm
1: sure we're forgetting something but we will we will talk about it on twitter
0: we'll have a a million podcasts with which to do so uh but but i mean it's four episodes into westworld we're obviously dissecting the crap out of this thing you know we're close to an hour and a half long on this podcast here uh and we're only four episodes deep into a show what what's why are we we pulling our hair out over this show like why why go so far down the rabbit hole why really pull this thing apart why come up with all these theories when we don't even know if the show is ultimately going to be anything good uh well i think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that the show is going to be something good it's already good for one thing it has a high pedigree of people involved with it including hbo including uh jonah nolan including the cast all of that so i think that there's a lot of reasons and i think that Joe you and I are very much you know we're of the lost mind um and I think that because of lost for better and often in my case for worse sometimes (laughs) I think that you you do tend to like take that lostian approach uh to a lot of the shows that are that are genre shows that are built with lots of mystery that's deeply deeply embedded in it and I think that you're naturally inclined to pick that apart. It's fun. Like, it's, it's a hobby for me. I would be doing this if I wasn't podcasting about it. I know that you would be as well, Joe. Um, but but I know it doesn't sit super well with every single viewer. Uh, right. Necessarily. And,
1: but those are the viewers who also don't listen to podcasts about about it. You know, they watch it, they go on with their life, and that's totally fine. People did that with Lost, too. And to me, and I think to you, and, and to a large subset of people who are now podcasting and writing about Westworld, Lost changed the way we watch television. Um, it wasn't just the Easter eggs. It's the depth of the choose-your-own-adventure almost of every scene and character, open to interpretation. Um, and I'm the kind of person who doesn't need it to be black and white. I don't need all the questions posed, answered, because I think we're supposed to dig deep within ourselves and, and figure it out and see how we relate to it. And so this is the kind of show that is prime for people to analyze because there is a depth to it that you don't get on a lot of regular programming. I'm not talking about just regular programming on you know the big four networks. I think that this is an intellectual show um, that requires a little bit more maybe put your iPad or your phone down and watch the show and pay attention because there are layers. And I think that there is Great fun in interpreting. Now, if you just watch the show and walk away, we're not judging you. You're clearly probably not listening to our podcast, or you are because this is the only way you're getting analysis, so thank you. Um, I think that people like us take great joy in discussing the possibilities beyond what is presented on screen.
0: Yeah. I, but I, I get the perspective of, of people who think that it can be a little, a little too much. And, I'll, and to talk that through, I'll go to a theory that I read on Uproxx today uh, in, a, in a piece by Mike Ryan called A Perhaps Flawed Interpretation of the Westworld Theories. And he points out a few of the more popular theories on Westworld right now, including the maze. Uh, is William the same person as the man in black? Does Westworld take place on another planet? Is Bernard a robot? Those are the four that (laughs) he discusses. Wait, we've talked about all of those. Those are the ones he discusses. And here is his theory for the maze. The man in black is searching for the maze, but here's where the trickery of Westworld deals a devilish hand. He's not looking for the kind of maze that you solve, you know, like Pac-Man. He's looking for maze. M-A-I-Z-E, because he's hungry. When's the last time we saw the man in black have a good meal? All he wants is some delicious maize. And if you look closely at the map on the inside of the scalp, that's clearly a maize field where some aliens left crop signs. Oh my God. So that's a big so that's a big clue about this show the robots harvest delicious maize but they keep it a secret will the man in black ever get to eat the maize my best guess, the last scene of the series will be a close-up of a smiling Ed Harris. He will look at the camera and say hot damn, then bite into the maze.
1: Okay, that's, so that's hilarious. My, that's, Mike,
0: that's Mike Ryan's explanation of the maze. So this gives you a bit of an idea of what Mike is writing about about Westworld over on Rocks. And in fact, just to quickly read his intro to the article, he says it makes complete sense that after only four episodes of Westworld we are all trying to decode its meaning like its ancient scripture as opposed to something being written in a conference room with a box of donuts in the corner (laughs) but westworld deliberately leans into its mystery fueling more and more speculation about this wonderful new world we are watching ahead we will break down all the clues and try to figure out where the next 10 seasons are headed based on these first four episodes (laughs) so let's try to discover what it all means together because this is all very very important now he obviously (laughs) wrote
1: that with tongue in cheek
0: yeah i i think so i think very much so mike ryan's a hilarious writer and a really really smart good writer uh, that people should be reading if they're not um but i mean i get the point like it's four episodes in some people have gone really loco for westworld so far myself included yourself included uh i've seen a bunch of similar sentiments in this article expressed on twitter a lot over the past week and i've been thinking about it and and like i i hear it i definitely do and and for me personally it's really important to me having gone through the experience that I went through with lost specifically mm-hmm. where I love that show to death. It is always going to be my favorite show, but my ultimate takeaway was like, for me it was very much journey based. Um, and part of that journey was definitely like picking it picking it apart in a community way mm-hmm. uh, and talking through clues and talking through Easter eggs and talking through scenes with friends, with people online, with people in person. Uh, and I've really enjoyed reliving the conversation about lost in these podcasts that, that we've done the last Lost Lives podcast. Where are they, by the way? I don't know. No one (laughs) knows where they are right now. Let's not talk about that. But you and I have talked about a lot here on Westworld and everything. And so I still, I still love that. And we're definitely doing a lot of that here on this podcast, a ton of theorizing, a ton of that. But for me on Lost, a lot of the theorizing didn't ultimately bear out. And sometimes I don't think that answers were fully thought through. And I got really frustrated uh, in the short term when things didn't pan out the way that I really, really wanted it to connect on. Uh, and my final takeaway, especially after doing a second rewatch where I really came and appreciated the, the show much more than, than I had at the very end. End of my experience with it. I know that you and I have different experiences with it, but uh, with season, you know, the final season, I was not thrilled with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of my biggest takeaways from that was lost for me is about the characters and the story that they were on, and enjoying the moments when uh, you know four of the Oceanic eight one five survivors get into a van and drive it around in the jungle. Mm-hmm. You know, those episodes are the ones that really matter to me. Or you know, like a scene in White Rabbit where John Locke and Jack Shepard talk shot talk philosophy for the first time those are like scenes that i really really remember as really excellently crafted and just so exciting and things like that that really made me fall in love uh, not just with the show but with the characters on the show so that when a character died in a really earned way you really really felt it or when something terrible happened to a character that you didn't agree with like Said and shannon like you would get appropriately incensed over so that's something that i really I, i really do feel like should not get lost in the conversation about Westworld moving forward, and that's one thing that I that I definitely want to want to pick up moving forward, is really talking through characters, talking through performances, and talking through scenes, and those being big parts of the reason, if not for me, the main reasons why I'm starting to really fall for this show. The theorizing is awesome, and we're doing a great job with it, and I'm having a ton of fun with it. I just don't want to lose sight of the characters, either. And I think that we're doing a pretty good job with both, but you guys are the judges, so you get to tell us.
1: I think the tide has shifted since Lost. I mean, I, I covered it extensively with a Theory blog from 2006 to 2010 I believe and it went from people making fun of me to people starting their own blogs and now look at the fact that if you look at the TV and film podcasts on iTunes and the top 50 20 of them are Westworld we are not alone in that we have been completely drawn into this world and it has stimulated our brains in a way that I cannot recall another show collectively has done so not as great as um, the Americans and Leftovers and Mad Men and Mr. Robot are, and uh, of those high-quality ilk, I can't remember the last time that so quickly, so many podcasts, very good, smart podcasts with reputable journalists and amazing analysts have already cropped up because yeah. we, um, it, this show is on to something. And I think that the the to
0: – I think that like even before it aired, there was a sense of like, I want to get in on yes. this. Yes.
1: I mean, I did two years ago when they announced it. I bought the book, bought the DVD, bought the URL. It's like, I just, I had a strong feeling. And with the uh, crazy advanced way that technology has moved forward over the last few years, I think that this really hits home. Also the idea of uh, the free will and escaping your own life. And so there is something about it. And And I think that the kind of people who listen to podcasts love it. The kind of people who just want to watch the show and think it's silly don't. And that's totally fine. The beauty of it is that, and I, I do want to thank all of our listeners, every single comment from iTunes to Twitter and email has been very polite and constructive. And we really appreciate that conversation.
0: Yeah, 100%. No, it's, it's again, it's all on you guys. Like, if you're not here, we're not here, but I mean, we'd probably still be here because we'd be so far down the rabbit hole and we wouldn't know how to get out anymore. True story. Uh, but, but we're really thankful that you guys are along for the ride and seem to be enjoying it. But again, thoughtful critiques, anything that you have that you, you feel like we're doing wrong or you would like to see more of or whatever. As long as it's constructive, we want to hear it. Uh, so really looking forward to that. Episode five is coming up next week on Westworld. Uh, it's it's called Contrapasso. I don't know what that means. Uh, I know contra. That's a game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I don't know. If, I, I don't know if Contrapasso is like a, a sequel that I didn't play. I'm
1: sure we'll overanalyze that title before we uh, meet again.
0: I'm sure that's true. Anything else, Joe, that you want to talk about before we sign off?
1: No, I would just say thank you for listening to us. Obviously, we have a lot of competition, uh, but your reviews have been very kind and constructive, and we really enjoy talking about the show together, and I'm very glad that we don't actually align on everything. I think it makes for a more interesting podcast.
0: Agreed. Totally agreed. All right. Follow Joe. She's on Twitter, at Pinionated. I'm at RoundHoward. As discussed earlier, I think, hashtag Shorter ShorterGhostWalt. I think that that... <laughs> That remains the king. Good job on that, Joe. Great job, Great job on the podcast this week. Thank you all. We will be back next week talking about Episode 5 of Westworld on the Welcome to Westworld podcast. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld. We'll get you to our page on iTunes. Any ratings, any reviews you could leave if you would be so kind. Really helps us get discovered as we're trying to spread the podcast out for the first time. Thanks again, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye i you.